Thank you for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. Our mission is to create space for all people to experience the compassionate love of the Father and to discover the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today, recorded live inside the Wilson Performing Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri. Well, so Trish and I had the opportunity to go to, to Colorado. It was an incredible, incredible week uh, to be there together. And so uh, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. This just gives you kind of a picture. This is what we could see out of our window in our cabin that we were staying in. Pikes Peak, beautiful, beautiful scenery. And just singing about creation. I thought, what a perfect, perfect uh, segue into that. So first of all, last week's message. How many of you were here last week? Man, was it good? It was so good. I listened to the message Sunday afternoon. Like, I was so compelled. I was signing up for everything, Steve. I am not warming a pew any longer. All right? I'm going to do children's ministry. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do it all at the same time. All right? It's going to be awesome. We, it's beautiful. If you weren't here last week, we, we, Steve talked about how the fact that we are a unified church, that we are going to serve together. Don't just come and warm your chair. I and mean, we don't have pews, but we have chairs. Get plugged in, sir. Find a way to get connected with other people. We are a praying church, praying for guidance and praying for each other. There are multiple things, just even that I, even multiple things that I even came um, um, to know about just since I got home on late Monday night into Tuesday. Just things already this week that we need to pray about. Friday night, I, I had the opportunity to stand and speak on behalf of a precious woman, uh, a grandmother of a lady that's here today. Her grandmother is the one who died on the accident on I-70. Continue to pray for their family. Continue to pray for her papa, James Leroy Henderson. Keep praying for him. I guess he set up yesterday in a chair. They, they set him up in a chair. That's a miracle, y'all. Yeah, a few days ago, you wouldn't have believed that would be true. But he's, we praying that he gets better, right? We prayed on Friday night that a prayer offered in faith makes a sick person well, that he will rise up and walk out of that hospital room. Do you believe that can happen? Right? And we keep praying that that will happen, right? Um, and just other things that, uh, that God just brings in front of me that we need to be praying about. We are a spirit-filled church, filled by the Spirit to be boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and to boldly use the gifts that he's given us through the power of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about that a little bit more today. We are a harvesting church. Now, that doesn't mean we're all going to put straw in our mouth and we're going to go to the farm. But that means we're going to be looking for opportunities to share the good news with other people when we have the chance. Now, I, uh, I, t- I talk about this uh, quite a bit, and we'll talk about it some more. But I, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you consistently look for the opportunity when you're having a conversation with someone, when you meet someone, to turn the conversation in such a way that we're able to bring Jesus up in a, in a healthy, uh, normal kind of way? Like, it just, you know, one of these ways where we're like uh, not being weird, we're not being forceful, it's a kind of unforced rhythm of grace and where we have the opportunity to say, um, hey, you know, tell me your story. Tell me, what, tell me about you. Give me a little bit about your background just and you listen to their story. And then you say, hey, well, you know what? I, I kind of I relate to that. I had the same things happen in my life. And I share a little bit of my story. And then in the process, we look for a way to share God's story. And how it 
we kind of weaves this all together. Like there's, there's not a situation where you're like, man, God can't do much with that. I'm sorry. No, we know that that's not true. And so it was interesting this morning, I watched Amelia, our little granddaughter, this little bitty card, we have these out on the table, and I encourage you, if you haven't done so yet, pick up a few of these. Because these are easy way to invite somebody to come hear about God's story and to hear somebody else's story, maybe even to share their own. And so it was interesting, Amelia, there was a couple that came in, they're new in town, they just started working at the hotel, and they had, she had to work at 10, so they couldn't stay, but they were walking by, and they saw our signs, and they said, hey, well, we know where CVS is, we know where the grocery store is, now we know where a church is at. And they came in, and Amelia, in just this profound three-year-old little way, she handed them this card, and she said, this is God. Here's God, here's some of God. And she handed them this card, like completely unscripted, and I was like, whoa. You know, maybe this card isn't God himself, but it may be a way, a tool to invite them to come to hear about him, right? And so, simple little tool for you to use if you think about it as you're leaving today. So, like I said, Trish and I had a great time in Colorado. Thank you so much for allowing us to go, for being a part of the blessing about uh, letting us um, take this trip. It's the second time that Trish and I have been to this place called Sunscape. But this time that we went, there was a different couple who led the, led the trip. And this is Bob and Gene. And Bob is a retired pastor, and he's a counselor. And Jean is a, um, well, she's not a retired pastor's wife, because I don't think you can ever really retire from that, nor can you probably ever retire from being a pastor. But they, they led this together, and they taught us, and they encouraged us, they prayed for us, and they walked us through some of the stuff that we did while we were there. This is... Steve and Kay. Now, Steve and Kay, Steve's a retired teacher. He taught chemistry and science and coached, basketball, coached all kinds of things. And taught for years, and Kay was a nurse and then took care of her kids at home. And they were the ones who were the hands and feet of Jesus to us all week long. They served us meals. One night, they brought us a meal to our room. Um, it was a special uh, romantic dinner, and they dressed up in, like, tuxedo shirts, and they brought us a meal and uh, it was beautiful. And they, their smiles are real. And they were just the, the most incredible, kind people. And they loved on us. Now, they have kids that live in Olathe, so hopefully we'll get a chance to see them again. And these are the couples that we spent the week with. The couple in front of Trish and I are from Illinois. And he was an elder in their church. And then the pastor was leaving. And they, uh, they said, you know what? You could be the preaching elder. We want you to take over this church. And so it kind of got dropped in his lap. And he's learning the joys and the sorrows of being a pastor in a church. And so uh, they, were, they were pretty beat up when they got there, and we had opportunity to love on them and bless them and become their friends, and it was really good. The couple standing up with us, they're from Canada, Toronto, Canada, and he was the Tony of our church, and then the pastor's retiring, and they then ask him and another guy to co-lead the church. So once again, he's like, what have I got myself into? You know, and he's learning all about that. And his wife is a huge part of uh, YFC, Youth for Christ, and they do all kinds of training all over the United States. And so she, she was, they both uh, sing and really neat people. And then the couple in front of them are from California. And they are part of a ministry called Present Point, and it's t- teaching people to shepherd others, like how to love people in your life and shepherd them and encourage them and walk alongside them. This is a picture of what it looked like. This is, that's my foot right there. I think I have a little pointy thing to it. Yeah, right there. Um, so we sat, Trish and I sat there together, and we listened to Bob and Gene teach, 
and these other couples, and we're taking notes, and we're listening, and we're going through the material, the sessions that we did together, just to kind of give you an idea. And right out the window over here was Pikes Peak. So you could just look out the window and see God's creation. It was beautiful. Well, while we were there, we learned a lot about our personality styles. How many of you have ever done Myers-Briggs or heard of Myers-Briggs? Okay, some of you have. And so it helps you identify, in a sense, how you are wired and why you are the way that you are. Uh, I want to show you. This is me. Okay, obviously you see my name up there. Um, value, authenticity, persuasive, energetic, creative, zest for life, lively, restless. Yes, that's me. Uh, inspire leadership, curious, gregarious, expressive, independent, versatile, friendly, value depth. Um, very perceptive, enthusiastic, caring, supportive, cooperative, warm, imaginative, sociable, spontaneous. Trish, is that me? Yeah, that's me. Now, the things on the right are the things that, uh, these are the things that kind of drain me and kind of get in the way. Matter of fact, they use a phrase called when you're in the grip, when you're dealing with stuff like this. Um, Organization at the expense of creativity, lack of enthusiasm, endless details, thoughtlessness, spreadsheets, procedures, rudeness, 15 projects at once, uh, too many details, um, long-term plans, rules over relationships. I'm a relationship guy. How does it affect the people is what I want to know, not about the rules that govern the things that we're doing at that particular time. Uh, mundane, mundane things drive me crazy over commitment. Like, some people can eat the same thing every day for lunch. I cannot do that. I need to have something different. And that's how I'm wired. Well, guess what? My wife? Completely the opposite. <laughs> Completely the opposite of me. She's loyal, practical, traditional, sensitive, very detail-oriented, very considerate, um, responsible, devoted, conscientious, realistic, kind, patient, honors commitments, and these are the things that drive her crazy. Last-minute changes, <laughs> indecision, and she's married to me, y'all. Pray for her more than you ever have before. Workplace conflict, dismissing how she feels, others repeating mistakes, disregarding my established rules and regulations. This is the way it's supposed to be done, and that's the way we're going to keep doing it. That's the way it works. And that's the reason why she's so good at her job. She works at Parkville Women's Clinic, and she's very detail-oriented. She's good at that job. But we're both just different, but that's not wrong. We just, we just complement one another. And so I want you to understand this. Every single one of you come here today, and you're just a little bit different and wired a little bit different than the person next to you or the person that are sitting close to you. And the church is full of different people. And isn't that a good thing? Yeah, I, I met a guy uh, yesterday. I went to Tanner's to this guy's surprise birthday party, and there's this older gentleman sitting up at the bar, and I went up to, to get my, uh, my Coke. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, he was like, hey, Brady, how you doing? I haven't seen you for a while. We talked for a little bit. And he was like, he's like, I like coming here because I get into some good conversations. Everybody's unique and different, and wouldn't it be boring if everybody was the same? And I was like, bro, man, you can just come and preach tomorrow. Yeah, you're right. Wouldn't it be odd if we were all the same? We wouldn't accomplish much. Well, so we had the opportunity to go to this place on Sunday. Last Sunday, we were encouraged to get up, um, got something to eat, and then we went to this place called the 11-Mile Canyon. It's the second time we've actually been there. And uh, this was our Sabbath day. We went there to, to rest, to pray, to, um, 
process through some of the things that we've been learning all week long, one of the things that they really focused on in our life was the losses that we've experienced in our life. Every single one of you come in here today and you have things in your life that you're experiencing as a loss. It might be a family member that's passed away. That's definitely a loss. It might be a loss of a job, loss of a dream, uh, loss of relationship because of certain things that have happened, maybe a loss of a marriage, whatever it is. We all have a loss list, every single one of us. And we were encouraged to process through our loss list. And so then we were like, well, what are we going to do with our list? And so we went into this canyon, and this was like when you first came in, this is like the road leading in to this place. It was beautiful. This was a, uh, right off to the right was this water rushing. Of course, obviously some of it was frozen. And I don't know, hopefully this will do this. This will just give you a little panoramic view of what it was that we saw. Can you imagine the rushing water? You just hear it. Looking back up into the canyon. It was beautiful. You couldn't help but just see God and His creation while we were there. So we started down, back down here on the road and we walked up and around. It was about a half a mile hike. I don't think we went a half a mile. We probably could only last about a quarter of a mile. But we got up to this place where this particular rock on the back side of it, I went, I took a a black uh, Sharpie marker, and I wrote my loss list on this rock. And then walked away from it to leave it there. Trish took her loss list, and she got down in a little area where there's no wind, and she burned it to ashes to leave it behind. And then this was just a picture of her looking out over the canyon. Uh, back over here is a, uh, where a dam is, and there's a reservoir on the other side of it, and that's where all that water comes from. But just a moment of reflection, just to kind of look off and, and ask God to take the list. And then we were encouraged to play. And so we went to this little place called Cripple Creek. Anybody ever been to Cripple Creek, Colorado, up on Cripple Creek? Yeah, I used to go when I was a kid and didn't realize it until my mom reminded me, and so did Trish. Wouldn't it be weird if at some point you were there and we were there and you walk right by me and you're like, who's that annoying little kid? You know, you never know. We could have been there. Well, unfortunately, Cribble Creek has become a place for a bunch of casinos, and so it's not quite the same. But they were having an ice sculpture um, contest or whatever there, and this was just a bench that someone had made, and we sat there to get our picture taken. So we played a little bit. It was fun. It was beautiful. And then um, we kind of felt like, you know what? It was time. It was the time to go on back. But one of the things we saw as we were going in is this picture. Does that ever feel like life? (laughs) Rough, narrow road ahead. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and you're thinking, all right, where is this, where is this leading us to? (laughs) We're going into this dark place. Well, I promise you it comes out on the other side. You know, there's light on the, at the end of the tunnel, and it's beautiful. And as we were reading through First and Second Corinthians this week, one of the verses that you might have come in contact with if you did your reading is Second Corinthians chapter 1. Don't ever believe this phrase, God will not give you more than you can handle. It's not a true statement. You all know that that's true. You just think about your own loss list, <laughs> And you're like, man, that was more than I could deal with on my own. 
We do not want you to be uninformed about the troubles we've experienced, it says. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If God can raise the dead, he can get you through whatever it is you're going through right now. It's a fundamental part of Christianity. You've got to believe that. It requires faith. It requires trust. And so, we want to continue through the journey. If you have your Bible with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, We're going to continue through this journey of the New Testament. The church is growing. The, The New Testament church is growing. And with growth comes concerns. Listen, when our church started, there was about 12 of us in a home. It was very easy to manage. Uh, And we knew everybody. We kind of knew everybody's story. It was very easy at that particular point. But then as the church continued to grow, you know what we had to do? We had to figure a bigger space to go to. We couldn't stay where we were at. We had to, like, look forward. Like, where are we going to go from here? And with with growth comes more numbers. And with numbers come more people. And with come more people, more lossless. (laughs) More stories. And more concerns. And Paul started to see some things that were going on in the, in the church in Corinth, and he, he had to address these concerns, and he addressed them with letters, letters that were written, brought to the people, and read, and he addressed certain things. And, we, and if, you re, if you did your reading, you saw all kinds of issues, all kinds of um, hot buttons at the particular time, even issues we still deal with today in the church. And Paul had to deal with it, and he wrote letters about it. One of the keys... When you read Scripture, try to understand the culture of the day as much as you can. What were they going through? What was happening at that particular time? And what is it, how can it teach me today? And what does it need to, to teach me today? And so the first thing is, as we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Steve does such a great job last week talking about the church and what kind of church we're supposed to be. And the church is... The body of Christ, okay? It makes up the entire um, person of the church. And so I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And once you have put your faith in Jesus, you've trusted in Christ, the Bible says that he comes to be one with us like him and the Father are one, and he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit to come and reside in you. Our bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The residence of God lives in us. We are his residence. We are his, the, the temple, like I said, and we are the ones who house the Spirit of God in order for us then to be Christ-like to the, to the rest of the world. Jesus ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and live in us so that we can continue to be Jesus to the earth. Does that make sense? You understand, that's, that's what happens when you become a believer and a follower of Jesus. And so listen in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Once again, he's writing to this group of people. There was some confusion that was going on. There were some issues that started to come up as results of the gifts that had been, been given to people. And Paul was like, i got to address this issue. i got to deal with it. And this is how he dealt with it. He says, you know that when you were pagans like unbelievers somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols you were worshiping other things that weren't of God things that could not do anything for you it says therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking of the spirit of God by the spirit of God says 
Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He was saying that uh, if you are filled with the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you're not going to say Jesus be cursed. That's not, that's not what you would say. It's not part of your language anymore. And if someone doesn't have the Spirit of God, they're not going to say Jesus is Lord. They're not able to say that because they don't have the Spirit of God living in them. And then he says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but all of them and everyone is the same God at work. Okay? So, same Spirit, but he's distributing these gifts, and there's different things going on in the body of Christ. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So, if you have the Spirit of God living in you and you're gifted, it's for the common good of the church. Your gifts are not for you. They are for the church. They are for you to use them to build up the church, to to bless other people, to serve other people in whatever capacity God's given you to serve. Just like my personality, the way I'm wired is unique unique to me, but I've I've been given those gifts and that ability to use it to honor God. And I've got to figure a way how to do that. I can't let my personality type be an excuse for me to sin. I can't say, well, it's just the way that I am. That's the way that I'm wired, so that's why I do what I do. No, that's not what he's saying. He's given us these gifts for the common good. To one, it says, there is a gift through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Some of you have a greater amount of faith. You have a gift of faith where you, even through difficult times, you're not, you don't budge. You stand firm in the midst of it because of your gift of faith doesn't mean that other people don't have that to a certain extent, but some of you have a greater measure of it. Some of you have the ability to, um, you might be praying and reading God's word, and, and God might give you a special word for someone else here in the church. And you might say, you know what, I just really need to text Brian and let him know that I love him today. And you get, you get, a, you get that word from the Spirit of God. Um, some of you, maybe you don't, you don't get that as much. So, it goes on to say, um, to another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. Maybe you receive a word from God to give it away to the church and say, God, is, this is what he's saying to us. To another, distinguishing uh, between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And I know that's a hot-button issue for some. Like, oh, speaking in tongues, do we do that at this church? Is that normal? Is that okay? What if I do do that? If people care if I do that? And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes to them each one just as He determines. God is the one who gets to decide who gets the gifts. You are the one that then decides, how am I going to use that gift to bless others? Okay, are you with me on that? You don't get to come sign up and apply for a gift. Okay, now, you might get to come and sign up and apply for how you can use that gift in the church. And I encourage you to do that. Like, hey, we got this time, we got some ability. What can we do to bless the church? But you don't get to choose your gift. He, he knows how you're wired and he knows what gift you need. And he knows how he wants you to use it. Okay? And you might, fi- you might find yourself living your whole life trying to figure out what that looks like. It's a worthy pursuit. Don't give up. <laughs> Don't give up. Don't think, well, I just haven't really found the right fit or whatever, so I'm just going to stop. No, don't do that. Keep pursuing, keep seeking, and keep trying to discover what it is and how it is God has gifted you. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, 
but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We're all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up of, um, is not made up of one part, but of many. Do we, that's true, right? We all know that. Just look around. Just look at yourself. I'm not just the right hand. <laughs> just not a right finger. You know, I am, my body has many parts. Um, some parts work better than others. And I've, as I've gotten older, I've discovered that even more so. You know, it's just like, there, you know, that's just changes. But we're one body. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of it. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? It's just kind of like, once again, if we're all the same, if we're all gifted the same, and we're all wired the same, what's the point? You know, we're not going to be able to accomplish nearly as much. It says, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But in fact, God has placed, listen to this, He has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. Do you know that? That if you come and you plant yourself here and you say, I want to be a part of this body, it's just as God wanted it to be. He gifted you in such a way he knew the church needed you. And he knew that you needed the church. And that when we come and we don't just warm the seat or warm the pew and we come and plug in and start to serve, that's when the body comes alive. Can I get an amen? I mean, seriously, if you're a part of the body and you're the right arm, and the left arm's doing all the work, and you're just saying, well, I, I, I don't know, I don't really, I don't have time, or whatever. Your right arm becomes worthless. And it's not functioning the way God created it to function. And you don't get, you don't get life out of that until you really begin to understand that. It says, um, the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Nor can you say to the person next to you, I don't need you. You know, I, I've, I've got this. I don't need, we don't need any more help. You know, we're good. We can't say that. If that's the truth, let's lock the doors and don't let anybody else in. Nobody else is welcome to come. We're an exclusive group. And we stand with our eyes looking forward instead of our eyes looking around like, who can we invite next to come in and be a part of this body? To Maybe the right hand needs some help. <laughs> Maybe the right foot needs a little bit of encouragement. Whatever it is, we... We need to welcome people. And so we can't say to the other person, we don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. <laughs> right, yeah, we need our feet. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Here's, here, listen, here's what Paul's trying to say. We do not get to say, we don't have the right to say, you don't matter as much as I do. Or the gifts that you have are more important than my gifts. Or my gifts are more important than yours. Like actually, being the pastor really matters more than any of that. You know what? No. Listen, if I'm not here and you're all still here, there's still a church. But if you all leave and I'm still here, what's the point? <laughs> then I'm just a leader and nobody's following me. See what I'm saying? Like, so we need each other. Like it, we have to have... One another. Now, go on it's down a little bit further down. It says, Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping of guidance of different kinds of tongues. Are all, 
It says, are all apostles, question mark, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? No. Some do. Listen, there is some debate in the church today, and some people will maybe even feel this way. You say, well, there's just certain gifts that are not used anymore, that they're not relative. I don't believe that. I don't believe it. Here's why I don't believe that. It's because I have seen all of these gifts at work in my own life. Not me personally having those gifts, but I've seen other people bless me through those gifts or bless others and serve the body through those gifts. Brady Rogers has a special gift of, of prayers of faith, and he's seen people healed. Am I to deny that because I don't think what's really valid today? No, it's valid because I see it. I see evidence of it. But he says that now eagerly to desire the greatest gifts, and listen, the last part of uh, chapter 12 says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And the most excellent way is love. And we'll get to that for a second. But I want to, first of all, let's just, let's just deal with this real quick. Paul is writing this letter because there is charismatic chaos going on in the church. All right, so we just talked about all these different gifts and all these different things that people are experiencing that they have. And then people weren't doing it in an orderly fashion. People were like stepping all over each other. Oh no, look at me, look at my gifts. I have a greater gift and let me exercise that gift. And Paul's like, no. That's not the way God designed it. God said, I'm a God of order. And I have a specific purpose and a way and structure that it should go. And certain gifts were being exalted over others. Certain individuals or groups were being exalted over others. That's not the body. That's not the church. We just got through reading. The head can't say, I don't need the feet. And we can't say that we don't need one another. We can't say that I'm better than you are because I have this particular gift. The people who sit on this stage aren't any better than you are. Now, wait a minute. They might be a better cello player than you. Okay? But in God's eyes, they're a servant just like you're a servant. And so you say, I might not be able to play the cello, but I might be able to do this. And you got to figure out what that is and then serve the body in it. But Paul tells him that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All right, boom, right there. Whatever you do in the church, do it for the glory of God. If you're doing it for the glory of man, then you will get your applause, but then the applause will end. But if you do it for the glory of God, it will never end. It'll last forever. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. When you walk in the door, when you walk in the door, put on the servant's towel, say, okay, how can I serve somebody today? How can I bless somebody today in the church? I try to live that out as much as I can in my life. Am I perfect at it? No. Sometimes I get selfish. Sometimes I get tired. Sometimes I get, I just want to do my own thing. But for the most part, I walk, try to walk in with the servant's towel on and I say, how can I seek the good of others today? And sometimes to a default, I will get distracted searching the, or seeking the good of others or I won't even seek the good of myself or I'll, or I'll neglect my family. And when we were in Colorado, we learned about that and learned about why I shouldn't do that. <laughs> self-care is not selfish, by the way. You hear me? Self-care is not selfish. It's good. It's healthy for your family. Take care of yourself so you can be better for your family. Um, which leads us to why he wrote chapter 13. He says, you might have all these incredible gifts. You might be the most gifted person in the church. But if you don't have love, you're just a bunch of noise. And this is what he says. This is Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of you have heard this before. A lot of you have heard this read at a wedding. This wasn't a wedding passage. This was a church passage. This was the letter for the church. This was teaching the church how to love 
one another. He says, the greatest of all things is love. And we'll see that in this passage. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I have to, to um, or all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And this is a famous passage, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh my goodness. How incredible would your marriage be if you stopped keeping score? And the record of wrongs. Well, you know what? But you did this. And that's why I am the way that I am. That's a cop-out. It's not true. You're responsible for your own actions and for your own reactions to the things that people do. Can't blame it on somebody else. Yeah, you can be affected by it, but ultimately you've got to, to go to the Lord with it. Keep no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Right? Love never fails. But there were prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. You know what? All spiritual gifts will cease someday. We won't need them anymore. When Jesus comes back, we won't need spiritual gifts anymore because the church will be complete. Jesus will come to receive his bride. And all we'll need to know then is the love that he has for us and the way that we can then serve and love him back. I mean, he's wanting, to do it. He's wanting us to do that now while we're still here on earth, right? He's gifted us. He wants us to love him. But it says that, um, for we know in part right now, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I become a man, I should have put child, childish ways behind me. I'm still working on some of that. For now, we are only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. Like someday we're going to fully know. We're going to fully experience all that God has for us, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue it today, right? But someday we'll know, but we should continue to pursue it now. And now it says these three things remain. And if you're at the funeral on, on Friday, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is obviously love, right? So, how many of you read this week, and I was half expecting there'd be um, some protests from women outside the church. How many of you read this week that women should be quiet in church? They should not speak. Did anybody read that? Some of you are like, no, I didn't read that. Where's that at? Alright, well, it's in 1 Corinthians 14. And um, I ran into some ladies at Bee Creek the other day. And they said that came up. I was like, oh, Lord, going to have to address this. <laughs> going to have to, like, we have to walk down this road. Um, put yourself in the shoes of the readers, in the context of the day. And if there was truly charismatic chaos going on in the church and people were talking over one another um, in that culture, and even in this culture today, especially in that culture, a woman 
was required to sit under the authority of her husband. Now listen, guys. Men were required to love and live in such a way that the women would want to sit under their authority. And too many times in our culture and in the world today, maybe in other churches, they have used this passage of Scripture to treat women as inferior or to somehow harm them in some way, saying you must keep quiet. Or maybe men have done that in their own homes. That's not what it's saying in this passage of Scripture. That's not what it's saying. It is saying that you shouldn't be disruptive in church, that you shouldn't just speak out without if you're married, it says, hey, ask your husband home. Hey, should we, should we talk about this? Is this something we should address? Matter of fact, one of the things it was talking about was that women shouldn't answer prophecy in church. That it, that's, it was the men's authority. It was the men's right to do that. And if a man is, if a man is worthy, then he has the right to do that as well. But if, if they aren't being worthy and they're just talking out of turn, it says the men should be quiet too. That everyone should be quiet. That you shouldn't come and interrupt the service and be disruptive. He's not a God of chaos. And so I did some research. I read up a little bit on this. And it says Paul's original intent seems to be that women must not take part in the deliverance of, of the deliberative process of evaluating prophecies. The question remains about this, how this is supposed to be applied today. There's still a question about that. Listen, and some churches have taken this to extreme. Well, we will not let a woman up on the stage. They will not let her speak. They will silence them. We're not that church. Um, I don't know that there'll ever be a woman pastor of the Collin Community Church, but there are women who have gifts and abilities and things to say that can bless and help the body of Christ because they are gifted that way, and we will allow them to share those things. They'll obviously come to me and say, hey, Brady, I have this word I want to share. Stephanie Hensley has done that before, and we believe that they have a gift. Matter of fact, you know, if you look back in 1 Corinthians 11, they're talking about women praying in church, and they said they should have their head covered um, when they pray. Well, that, that, we, don't, we don't do that in our culture today. But what we do expect is that women come and be modest. We expect the same thing out of men. Come and be a modest person. Don't, dis, don't be a distraction. Don't draw attention away from the vertical because of what's going on you horizontally. Does that make sense? That's fair enough to say, right? Yeah, we should be modest. But it says that women should pray, and they have, a, they have a gifts to speak and things to say. And so it goes on, for a first century woman to participate in the deliberative action in any assembly would have been considered a usurp, usurpation of authority. Perhaps in today's culture, where women are invited to participate, their silence is not required in the church in order to show proper respect to their husbands or church leadership. The interpretation offered here maintains that as long as the male leadership in the home and the church is honored and female acceptance of it is expressed in culturally relative ways, then the spirit of the passage is fulfilled. Okay? And I, I still say it goes back to the responsibility of the husband. Are you a man worthy of respect? It doesn't mean that she should disrespect you if you're not, but my question is, are you a man worthy of respect? Are you leading in the proper way? Are you facilitating um, in your own home what it means to follow Jesus? And if you're not, that's on you. That's, you can't say, well, it's my wife's fault. No. You are required to lead in that way. And you do it out of love. 
You do it because of love, the way that you've been loved and you want to love her the right way. Okay, are you with me on that? Okay. And then I want to finish up with this. So the reading went on from 1st, 2nd Corinthians and it went into Galatians. And I think it's fascinating. To, to, this thought is fascinating to me is that the Holy Spirit, when it comes to live in us, it not only gives us gifts, but it produces fruit inside of us. Okay, so listen, not every Christian is gifted the same way, but every follower of Jesus has these living inside of them to one measure or another. You have joy, you have love, peace, faithfulness, goodness, forbearance, you know, long-suffering, patience, kindness, self-control, and gentleness. Now, do we have these to the measure that we want them to be all the time? No. But they're there, and God is producing those inside of you. The fruit of His Spirit are all these things. This is who He wants you to be. Now, think about this. If you have these and you use that as your motivation to then use your gifts to serve, you're serving in this capacity, it's, it can be a beautiful picture, right? And that's what he's trying to say. Look at Galatians chapter 5, if you have your Bible. Turn on over then to the Galatians. Once again, Paul's writing a letter to the church. He's once again reminding them of how they should live. He needed to encourage them. There was some debate going on in that particular church, you know, about uh, is everything physical, evil, like our physical bodies, are, are they all evil? And Paul was trying to explain to them that uh, because of the Holy Spirit, we're made righteous and we're made holy, and he's walking them through some different, different things. And he says in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, I'm just going to read a few verses and we'll, we'll be done. He says, you... My brothers and sisters, Galatians 5, starting verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Okay? Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. In all these things, there is freedom. He's not calling us to slavery. He's calling us to be free. But it says, but you should not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, you should serve one another humbly in love. We've already kind of talked about that. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Use these fruit, this fruit right here, to help you love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you hate and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That is a word for the church, ladies and gentlemen. If we hate and devour one another, talk bad about each other, well, you know, that person thinks they're so gifted or whatever, and we forget the love that we just read about, it says we will destroy one another. And that will be an ugly picture for the rest of the world to see. And they'll be like, why do I want to be a part of that? But instead, they should come and find us loving each other so well, right? So well that they're like, I want in. I want to be a part of that body. I want to, I want to, Serve with them. I want to be loved by them, and I want to love with them other people who need to be loved. Right? That's what he's saying. So he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh 
desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They were opposites. They're in conflict with each other so that, says that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, okay? We're not going to wink at sin in this church. We're not going to pretend like, well, it's okay if it feels good to you or if it's not hurting anybody else. No. Paul says the acts of the sinful flesh are very obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. This family that we met in California, they live in the Wiccan capital of the United States. There are more Wiccan per capita there, people who are witches, followers of other things other than God. Don't have anything to do with that. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. (laughs) It's not an exhaustive list. It's just some of the things that we shouldn't have anything to do with. He says, I warn you as I did before, those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here it is, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified. It says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. We're all part of the same body. Let us love one another. Let's encourage one another. When somebody is up on the stage and they're in the spotlight, cheer them on. Steve did an incredible job. Cheer him on. Say, way to go. Way to use your gifts. When someone is clean, taking out the trash, way to go. Way to use your gifts. Thank you. When they're in the children's ministry, dealing with dirty diapers and snotty noses and kids whining because they want their mother, cheer them on. Encourage them. Because we all need each other, right? And the only way we can really do it is by letting these things get better and bigger in our life. And if you have the Holy Spirit, those things exist. And it's your responsibility to figure out ways to get them to grow. Maybe there's areas we need to be more patient, find more joy. You know what? When you love, that's how you get better at loving. It's that simple. (laughs) Practice it. Exercise it. You'll get better at it. Thanks again for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or need to talk to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.